Good evening, dummies. Episode 160. I kind of like when they end on zeros. Maybe it's my OCD, but 160 in the house. It's Red Friday. Remember, everyone deployed. Got the shirt on today. Hope you wore red. If you wore red, take a photo. Put it on Facebook. Remember, everyone deployed. It's also Memorial Day weekend. And of course, we'll talk a little bit about that. I've got some, uh, some maybe some new segments. Is I used to put a lot of pictures in my show. I kind of stopped doing that. It just really didn't add a lot to it. But I think I can start adding a little bit more and more. We're going to talk about a few fans and and non fans tonight. There's questions that come in, and I figured why not like do them on the air as long as they are civil and somewhat articulated in a educated and well thought out fashion i'll put them on on the show i promised a few people that i would also pick a winner on the joe biden meme that i posted a few days back so i'll do that as well uh but first we are going to go over a couple of things what are we talking about what are we going to be doing tonight 160 it's got to be a good show because i'm not doing one monday it's memorial day kind of do a blackout on monday no work no nothing just reflection and uh that type of stuff tonight Reindeer Games got run over by Grandpa. An interesting tale of a young man who decided to take on the wrong 72-year-old grandfather. Holy crap, this story is amazing. If you haven't listened to it, it just really makes me wonder, one day, could I be a 72-year-old grandpa as a 20-something-year-old kid walks into my house and wants to do me harm? And literally turn that person into a pinata. It's it's a fantastic story. We will share that with you. Thanks to uh, all the guys over in Still Point for sharing this with me. Gentlemen, I appreciate it. Did you know cicada, spelled backwards, is adacus? That's right. What does that mean? Really absolutely nothing. I couldn't think of a title, so I was like adacus. That looks kind of interesting, but it doesn't mean a damn thing. Thank you for your service. Is Memorial Day all about thank you for your service? Yes and no. I think if you asked a veteran, they would tell you no. If you asked most of the general pop, they would probably say yes. Which one's right? Which one? Which one's wrong? Well, we're going to dive into it. This is a big topic on this day and only this day alone. So let's do that together. But first, I have a dilemma. I've got the joke, and I've got a PG version And I've got a, I'm going to get in trouble if I say it version. So this is what I was going, well, no, I'll I'll do the one that's safe. What do priests say to get rid of insects in the church? Let us spray. Right, right. Let's say it's good. It's simple, right? But this next one, oh, God. I had it first. I'm like, I'm going to say it. I've I've got cojones. I've got, uh, I've got gumption. I'm going to be, I'm going to take the hits because it's, you know, I, I tend to point out everybody's faults at one point or another, even my own. So here it is, and I'm sorry for my female viewers, and I have a lot, and I'm so sorry. And listen, it, it's just a joke, okay? Let's just brace ourselves for this moment. Let's just just take a moment. All cicada must be female because they never shut the fuck up. God, I'm sorry. Recorded from an undisclosed location. Always honest. Always direct. So sit back, 
relax. Don't unfriend me starts right now. Well, welcome back, everybody. It's going to be a good show. Uh, just making sure no one's going to throw anything. I'm holding up my Don't Unfriend Me coaster, you know, and you can buy these nowhere. Sorry. Uh, if you want one, let me know, but it's fantastic. I, I, I apologize for the joke. My wife, who is sitting to my left, which would be your right, just punched me. She's not here yet. But she always watches the show after I record it, and I promise you my arm hurts like a son of a gun. So, my bad. Folks, who am I? What do we do here? My name is Matthew Spear. I am the host of Don't Unfriend Me. had a great week at work, and I am excited to bring you a good show tonight. Completely different than any other show I've done. There's really nothing political about this show. I think I'll find something to talk about that's political. But overall... If you like the show, you don't like the show, you love me, you hate me, it really doesn't matter. Just don't unfriend me. That's the whole premise of the show. And it doesn't mean you can't ban somebody and block them from social media. That's not a real friend anyway. I'm talking about severing relationships because your next door neighbor, who you've known for 26 years and played doctor with, is voting for Joe Biden. Why in the hell are you not married to that person, first of all? Number two, why did you defriend them? That's really what this is about. It's not about Facebook. Facebook is the last thing that you should worry about. It's honestly a bunch of ones and zeros. It's as arbitrary as World of Warcraft. Yes, you may be a multimillionaire in World of Warcraft and have a elite 110-level dragon-slaying character who 10-manned the Lich King and then sold him by yourself and whatever and got touched by a magical dwarf fairy. But really, if the power goes out, you have nothing. And, and that's really what Facebook is all about. If the power goes out... You have nothing. My brother, who I don't talk about ever because I don't know. I haven't talked to him in I don't even know how many years, which is a shame, said something profound. And he is a smart guy. Sometimes. Sometimes he's not. Same with me. He said, it's not music if the power goes out and you can't play. It's fantastic. It's true. It isn't music. If you can't pick up your instrument and go acoustic and go unplugged, then it's not really music, is it? Anyway, I digress. You can find me on YouTube, on Facebook, everywhere else. Throw me a like, share, follow. Please do that. It keeps the lights on. I would greatly appreciate it. And also, don'tunfriendme.com. You can visit don'tunfriendme.com. It has all of my podcasts, my videos, my catalog, blog. You can get in touch with me there. I'm going to add a chat function on there. Why? Because I'm a glutton for punishment. But Either way, this is a small-time podcast. We are growing. We are on the precipice of 20,000 followers on Facebook. I really don't spend a lot of time on the other channels. I, I, I just put all my effort into one, and if they grow, great. If they don't, they not. They don't grow. But Facebook is really where I lay my head at night, unless the power goes out. So tonight, first thing, Josh House. It's an interesting way to spell your last name, H-O-W-S-E, kind of like H-O-U-Z-Z, which is the interior design site, House, which I always want to call Who's, but your name, I actually want to say House, so good for you. He says, hey, Matt, could you throw out a simple hello to a growing fan? My favorite stop for straight up no bullshit talk. Hello. <laughs> Josh, thanks for stopping by. 
I've already said hi on the site. I already had a little conversation. People like you make the site go around. I appreciate when you leave comments. It means a lot to me. But hello, shout out to Josh Howes with the coolest spelling of Howes, except for the right way to spell it, which is H-O-U-S-E. <sighs> Patty Little. This was an interesting one. I was sitting down having breakfast with my wife. I put a little heart on it with a little little smiley face holding the heart because I think it's important for people to challenge. I think it's important for people to be honest. And, you know, there's some people who are just trolling. And then there's people who genuinely feel, hey, I might be a little disappointed in you. And you know what? Good. That's 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 good. I, I appreciate it. So this means a lot to me. It says, you ask, Patty Little says, you ask, don't unfriend me. But sometimes what you say is very hurtful to some people. And so happens I'm one of those people just saying. Well, I appreciate you saying it, Patty, because I think you have a voice and I think it's important. And I am completely aware, as I said on the site and replied to you, that I can unintentionally hurt people sometimes. But let me ask a question for me. Is, was the pain that it caused you because I said something that wasn't true or I said something that was factual that bothered you? Maybe a topic that most people don't explore, something taboo. Because I would like to think that most of the things I say are not necessarily perspective at all times. Most of it's laced in fact. And when I go off on a tirade or to the side, that's more opinion-based. But was it factual but offensive? And that's okay because, honestly, that's what I'm designing this show around is to be very, very honest about all sides. And unfortunately, I don't get to argue the left and the right and the middle and every other viewpoint. I try to give you my viewpoint because that's the show. And if you're looking for other viewpoints, there's other shows to do that. But here's the thing. In your tone of your message, it makes me feel like you've watched my show. You somewhat enjoy it, but there are things that I say that really piss you off. That is okay with me. And I promise you I'm not going to change. Because here's why. If I told you I was going to give you a dollar, would you take it? Of course. But then what if I told you if I was going to give you 90 cents, but I was going to take 10 cents away occasionally, but you'd still get 90. Would you do it? Well, of course. Who wouldn't? As long as in the end, I'm not losing money, right? Where I say, I'm going to give you a dollar, but you're going to have to give me a dollar 10 back. That's taking withdrawals from your bank and ultimately leave you in the red. Well, that's kind of like this show. If 90% of it makes you go, okay. I understand that makes me think, or I agree, or I somewhat disagree, but I'm not pissed off, but I only piss you off 10% of the time. Is that not a good trade? Or do we focus on the minority? It's just a question. It's certainly not an excuse for my behavior. I will never apologize for anything I say on this show. I don't, because if I say it, either it was a slip or I actually meant it. And if it's a slip, I'm not going to apologize because people make mistakes. But I understand where you're coming from. I have shows that I watch where I get frustrated too, especially around the veteran topic or people who bash the American flag and things of that effect. That bothers me. But I might get offended. But really, what then? What happens to you? You get offended. You get upset. So what? In five years, are you going to care what I say on this show? Of course you won't. You're a powerful, smart, intelligent human being. What I say to you has very little impact in your life. And if I've disappointed you, stick around. Maybe I won't next time. But either way, I appreciate you saying something. That is what I want from people who watch the show. I want you to challenge in a respectful way, and I'll be respectful, and then that's how we get along. In my eyes, shit begets shit. 
if you treat me a certain way, I'm going to treat you back the same way. My stalker, for, for example, came in swinging and wanted to go to war. Well, they got whatever they deserved. But Patty, you came in and you were honest, and I appreciate that. So therefore, I'm going to give you a little bit of time on the show to tell you, stick around. I hope you do. I hope you stay here and keep watching if you're in that 90, 80, 70, 60% column. But if I'm withdrawing from your bank and I'm not putting anything back into it, I would say this is a waste of your time and it's okay. Thanks so much for talking to me about it. And I also appreciate, once again, the comment. I put up a Joe Biden picture. Here it is. And this picture basically said, caption this, quote, and there I was. And your job was to finish the sentence. I challenged viewers and said that whoever was the winner would get on the show. Well, I'm also going to pick the the worst comment because I had to. And there were some doozies. There were some good ones. I, I mean, to pick the right one came in early. It was like one of the first four comments, but this one. And, uh, Letitia Hickson, I believe it is. I don't know. Says, I don't know if you all know. Oh, I'm sorry. I said it wrong. Yeah. I don't know if you all know this, but that's not Biden. Biden has blue eyes and a cleft chin. Wake up. You are in a movie. (laughs) I thought all the QAnon people like left. First of all, the picture's darkened so the font can stand out. And by adding a filter onto it, it's darkened his eyes. He does have a cleft chin. He just happens to be 117 years old, and the cleft has lost its its firm resolve. The iron chin is now Play-Doh. It's Joe Biden. He's just old, man. He's old. You know, the thing. He got old. What do you want? The winner of the comment is Bonnie Lee. Bonnie says, Standing by the Iron Dome in China, talking to Putin. It's fantastic. So many geographical errors in one sentence. The Iron Dome is in, obviously, Israel. And Putin would never necessarily be in China. And Biden wouldn't be in China talking to Putin with the Iron Dome. It's fantastic. It's just one of those comments that is so easy off the tongue, but literally is a grenade for your brain. I love it. It's fantastic. And Bonnie, you are the winner. I don't know if I have my angels and stuff, my sound effects on here. Hold, do I? I'll give you a, uh, I hope a clap. If not, I'm going to have to put it in post. There's an applause. I don't think it's registered. We'll put it in there. We'll get it in post, folks. It's interesting. Well, let's get into it. We know what we have to do. After you like, share, follow, and subscribe, and I thank you for taking the time with me, we are going to go over cicadas. Now, here's the thing. Cicadas, I didn't know a lot about them, and I thought they were predominantly on the East Coast, but I remember in Houston, my dog dug up a bug and had this bug in her mouth, and it sounded like like a muffled squeaky toy, and we thought she had swallowed one of her toys, and every time we tried to open her mouth, we heard this horrible, horrible sound that sounded really like this. Yeah, that's been going on for like a week. And there are millions of these things on the East Coast. Now, I lived in Virginia. I went through Intel training here, and I spent some time uh, at different bases in Virginia and different establishments. But I, I never had experienced cicada before. But these freaking things are loud. 
So I decided to educate all of you. And listen, New Mexico has its balloon and its chili festival. Bakersfield has its insatiable heat and, and air pollution. San Francisco has the Golden Gate Bridge. Chicago has towering skyscrapers. Florida has its beaches and sun. The East Coast has cicada. And what the hell is a cicada? Well, I'm going to educate you tonight. Yes, I told you, no politics. It's a laid-back episode. We're just going to chill through this Friday night, and we're feeling all right. Billions of periodical cicadas are expected to emerge across 15 states in the coming weeks. Billions. If you look at tree trunks all over Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, they're already coming out, especially in East Tennessee. I hear they have so many they can't even drive down the road without squashing hundreds of them. You probably know some of the basics by now. Periodical cicada show up every 13 or 17 years, depending upon the species. Each emergence is called a brood. You ever played Gears of War? That's terrifying. And given a Roman numeral, this year's brood is Brood X. Their headmaster is Charles Xavier. They all have adamantium shells. Okay, no, it's not Brood X, but either way, that's pretty cool. East Tennessee just happens to be the central spot for Brood X. Cicadas between May and early June. The region is loaded with good forested habitats for these weird insects. I don't think there's a reason to call them weird. They are ugly. I don't know. Let's look at it again. Yeah, they're fucking weird. Those things are scary. And when they come out, they come out in force. About 1.5 million periodical cicadas per acre are expected to emerge in some places. 1.5 million. But the masses of cicadas aren't even the strangest things about them. These ancient insects have a lot of secrets. There's still a lot to learn, but here's some of what we do know. Cicadas are the loudest insects on Earth. Regardless whether you've seen them near you, you will hear them in the coming weeks. During the day, male cicadas gather together to sing, calling potential mates. They are the loudest insects on Earth. The song of a male cicada runs at about 100 decibels. A shotgun is like 120 to 160. That's about as loud as a lawnmower, or only slightly less loud than a live rock concert. Not bad for an insect that's only an inch long with a four-inch wingspan. Sustained exposure to a group of singing cicadas without ear protection might cause some hearing loss. So if you can't stand the noise, give the cicadas some space. To facilitate the sound, male cicadas are partially hollow. A special organ at the base of their wings reverberates like the reed of a woodwind instrument, clarinet, oboe, etc. This vibration is what got them their Appalachian moniker, the jar fly. Jarring can also mean vibrating, and they were feared by colonists, or colonists, excuse me. Puritan colonists thought periodical cicadas were a plague of locusts and feared their emergence. To them, it was like something out of Exodus. Quote, these were people who were keyed into the supernatural and religious, Dr. John Cooley, an entomologist at the University of Kentucky, no, Connecticut, Kentucky, Jeez, Connecticut. All of a sudden, all these insects appear, and to them, it's a biblical plague. So in North America, the name locust has stuck. Cooley said that cicadas aren't closely related to locusts. Migratory locusts are actually grasshoppers, not cicadas. Periodical cicadas don't migrate. They stick pretty close to where they come up. 
they aren't strong flyers. And cicadas do not eat vegetation. They live off 17 years of stored fat and only take small drinks of sap while active to stay hydrated. Those sap drinks don't harm trees either. In fact, it helps flourish and enrich the soil, which we'll talk about. They are ancient insects. Periodical cicadas actually predate human presence in North America. Cooley said that their range corresponds to the glacial maximum of last ice age. The edge of the glaciers that once covered North America is the limit of their habitat. They aren't found anywhere else but the eastern United States, and that would make sense since they're not migratory. The genus, the Magicicada, is 5 million years old, said Cooley. Also, the genus Bidenus is also 6 million years old. The psych- oh, I told you I'd make it somewhat political. The cicadas have been through many cycles like this and many changes in the ecosystems of eastern North America. Recent research suggests that periodical cicada species have evolved into their unusual life cycles multiple times from separate lineages of cicadas. Over millions of years, different species of cicadas converged in time, so their life cycles were synced up. As the climate changed, some cicadas began emerging on faster cycles. Some lineages lost four years underground, switching to a 13-year cycle. Scientists estimate that this first happened roughly 500,000 years ago, or when Joe Biden took office for the first time. It's one of the seven wonders of the biological world, said Cooley, so appreciate it as if it happens and recognize that it's a part of the natural cycle of our eastern forests. No one really knows about the timing. It's not entirely clear how cicadas judge time. Scientists think that cicadas take cues from the sap of their host plants, but precisely what was not clear. We don't we do not sure this is improperly said and written. We do not know what in the fluid flow the cicadas are detecting, wrote Jane Kritsky, a professor and cicada researcher at Mount St. Joseph University in Ohio. I'm sure they're not an English major. Trees and shrubs pump fluid to their roots differently depending upon the season, Christie said, that it was probable that cicadas were detecting that flow. Unlike crickets, they sing during the day. Roughly five days after they emerge, the males will begin to congregate and sing. Each cicada species has a slightly different song. The females use the singing to locate mates of the correct species. Males only sing during the day because cicadas are clumsy flyers and can't see very well in the dark. They stay quiet after sunset because they just can't find each other. Their time above ground is for mating. After between four to six weeks of singing and sex, the cicadas die. Sounds like a rocking good time. Once the cicadas mate, the females fly from branch to branch laying eggs. They cut slits in the young branches with their sharp um, oviposteriors, leaving roughly 30 eggs behind. Each female can lay 400 to 600 eggs in total and will spread these eggs out over the forest canopy. The agenda is mating, laying eggs, and that's it, said Will Kuhn, a researcher with Discover Life in America, a nonprofit that catalogs the species of Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Quote, it is all about the sex, basically. It's their last hurrah. What a life. Cicadas actually rejuvenate the soil. The effect of all of this cicada activity is profound for the ecosystem. The mass emergence of cicada nymphs from underground aerates the, uh, aerates the soil and creates thousands of tiny holes that directly water the roots of the host trees. Once the adult cicadas die in the early summer, all of their bodies fertilize the soil. 
quote, the sidewalks might be covered with cicadas. The roads may be covered. Your yard may be covered. But it's a good thing, said Professor Jerome Grant of University of Tennessee entomologist. They provide a lot of the nitrogen and other nutrients back into the, back into the soil. Cicadas are a month-long buffet for wildlife as well. The millions of cicadas are a feast for wildlife because the cicadas have spent over a decade storing fat for their brief adult lives above ground. They are incredibly energy-rich. They are also clumsy, slow, and loud. New cicada adults are soft in the hours before they grow their exoskeletons. Female cicadas are better eating because the males are partially hollow to help them reverberate their song. In other words, periodical cicadas are the perfect abundant meal for the early spring. Birds, bears, raccoons, snakes, fish, amphibians feast on the wave of food crawling out of the ground. Predators can't eat them all, and that's the point. That is, ultimately, part of the cicada's survival strategy. By emerging together, billions of cicadas overwhelm the appetites of every potential predator. There just aren't enough mouths to eat them all, which means that at least some of the periodical cicadas will be able to reproduce unbothered. Well, when there's 1.5 million of them per acre, I'm pretty damn confident that they're going to be just fine. The first several thousand cicadas that emerge are sacrificial lambs, but after that, the cicadas keep coming and coming, said Kuhn. The predators just can't eat anymore. They've confounded most predators. The other benefit of this unusual life cycle is that periodical cicadas do not have specialized predator animals waiting for them. Prey animals often have predators that sync up their life cycles to match the prey. Other cicadas have to contend with a giant cicada killer, the largest wasp in North America. This wasp lays its eggs inside of annual cicadas. The wasp larvae eat their way out. Holy shit. That sounds horrible. Well, at least you get to have sex for a bunch of times before you're completely devoured. Isn't that like most of the animal kingdom, prey mantis? But other animals like bears migrate. Go ahead and hibernate and then go ahead and awake during salmon season and then feast. And it's a cyclical type thing. These come every 17 years. And by the time an animal, whether it be DNA or not, decide, hey, I'm going to wait 17 years for these cicada to pop out. That DNA structure isn't traveled over that long period of time. And those animals wouldn't be alive. They must find another abundant food source. So it's almost like dessert. They have to hunt for their appetizer, their main course. And then they get dessert every 17 years, which is the cicada. It's interesting. They can have a sexually transmitted disease, a zombie disease. Holy, with all that sex, of course. I'm wondering if they're using safe sex. Periodical cicadas are susceptible to specialized mind control fungi called Massasopora. Wow. These fungi infect the periodical cicadas and force them to engage in exaggerated sexual displays to infect other cicadas. Holy shit, these fucking things rock. I mean, all they're doing is fucking and eating and going and going back and down in the ground. This is good stuff. When we go to the ground at six feet under and we die, they get to come up and have a ball every 17 years. I got the short end of the stick. Late in the season, male cicadas are then forced to spread spores over the soil with wing flicks. Unlike most fungal infections, this fungi produces spores inside the periodical cicadas while they are alive. These spores pass from cicada to cicada. When they die, the spores disperse into the soil from decomposing cicada bodies. Oh, and the mind control fungi also produces as a hallucinogenic compound, similar to mushrooms or LSD. So you get to have sex while on LSD tripping your balls off? This is awesome. 
These things know how to freaking party. Rock out with your cock out. This is great. They're the perfect citizen science opportunity. Scientists say as a natural part of Eastern North America, periodical cicadas are a way to understand the overall health of forests. An abundant cicada brood might show that forests are doing well. Periodical cicadas have gone extinct in places where forests have been cleared or paved over. The cicada brood uh, nine that once lived in Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island has been extinct for decades. Brood X is likely going to go extinct on Long Island. To track cicada brood, scientists typically rely on historical records. This year, scientists developed an app called Cicada Safari that lets anyone provide cicada sighting data to researchers. It is available on Apple, Android, and iNaturalist, another citizen science app, is also collecting cicada data. I'm wondering if they had to sign the terms and conditions with Apple to do that. That's a lot of people, a lot of signatures. I wonder how they collected all that permission. Privacy is not only important to humans, folks. I'm sure with all that sex, they want their own privacy. Stay out of Cicada's bedrooms, government and Apple. Overreaching dicks. University of Tennessee entomology professor Jerome Grant. How many entomology professors are there? Couldn't they just deal with one? Really, is it this much of up-in-the-air science that one can't go ahead and talk about? Do they need seven? Says that this is an excellent way for families to get their kids interested in science. Sure, my daughter. Here, go look at the little thing that's tripping its balls off and having sex. Honey, avert your eyes. That one has three females. That guy's a pimp. I really want to encourage families to get out in nature and observe this phenomenon. It's once every 17 years. You'll only see this four times in your lifetime, said Grant. It's a great opportunity to teach the family a little bit about biology. These things scare the hell out of me. I hate crickets. Like, I have a phobia of crickets. I can't stand them. There's a story behind it, and I'll tell you someday. I can't stand crickets. Just they bother me. These cicada are, dude, you've seen the video. like the little thing that went into Chekhov's ear in Wrath of Khan and took over his brain and crawled in there. No, I'm good. I don't really want to see him. What a horrible, scary looking thing. But it is interesting. The science behind it is incredible. I didn't know most of that. Some of it I knew, but literally the, the copious amounts of sex and drugs geez, and zombie cicada. If anyone thinks that a zombie apocalypse is, isn't possible, obviously it's happened in this insect world. We're one step away. We eat the wrong mushroom and we're all screwed. All right, folks, what are we talking about? This one is interesting. This gentleman right here, first of all, the epitome of what a millennial should look like. Two eyebrow rings, a lip ring, no job in sight, and this guy can't put his hat on correctly. I don't really understand what's going on in this picture. But the battered and bruised face of this burglar who got burglar who got on the wrong side of a 72-year-old former boxer looks nothing like this photo today. This is the guy. First of all, these are all his trophies. Can you guess what he did? Do you also see the tattoo on his arm? A lot of you aren't military. You can't zoom into it, but I will tell you this. That is a military tattoo. What does it all mean? Well, first of all, this knife-wielding burglar right here had a shock when he attacked a pensioner in his home and discovered his victim was a retired boxer. Senior citizen Frank Cordy. 72 years old, a former junior boxing champion. He's still a bit handy with his dukes, obviously. And when he spotted the aforementioned intruder, Gregory McCallum, first of all, he's Irish. Holy crap. He probably drinks a little too. He's like an honorary cicada. 
In his hallway, he sprang into action and delivered two right hooks. Battered and caught out, Gregory McCallum, before his encounter with Frank Cordy and after, looking ever so slightly worse for wear in this photo. Holy crap. Oh man, that guy just got wrecked. If you have, listen, if you're on the podcast, please go to my site and take a look at this. This guy looks like he got hit by a truck. This is the ugly tree. Did he rip out his freaking lip ring? Because his mouth literally looks like he's been dead for like six weeks. I've seen corpses look better than this. The blows were so powerful that McCallum, who had just lunged at Mr. Cordy with a knife, was left looking like he had been in a car accident. The pensioner then restrained him until police arrived. He was jailed for four and a half years yesterday after a judge told him he had got what he deserved. After sentencing, Mr. Cordy said, I was scared when he first drew the knife, but most people would have acted in the same way. If you can't defend what's yours, where are we at? I promise you this man was not scared. Here, let me show you a picture. This is him at 16 years old. He looks like Rocky Marciano and that he's 35. This is 16. His arms are bigger than mine, and I've been lifting longer than he's been alive by four, three. It's ridiculous. Look at this guy. He's built like a brick shit house. He wasn't scared. He's just doing that to stop from going to jail. And then I want you to look at the other guy. This is him at 16. Most assuredly a clown with pink fro hair and looks like he literally just got off of a four-day bender with some cicada. Oxford Crown Court heard the break-in was the culmination of a long-running dispute over noise between the neighbors who lived in Botley, Oxford. McCallum, I've said his name like wrong 16 times. McCallum is it. Not McCallum, not McCallum. McCallum, a barman, was having a rowdy party at his house on August 18th last year when police turned up after a complaint from a neighbor. McCallum, McCallum, oh gosh, the Irish, why do you have to put Mick in front of everything? Why can't you just keep it their awful name? Son of a bitch. Assumed it had been made by Mr. Cordy, who won the National Association of Boys Clubs Championship in Birmingham when he was 16 and broke into his neighbor's home at 8 a.m. the following day. Mr. Cordy, who was with his wife Margaret at the time, dodged out of the way of his attacker's lunge and punched him, giving him a black eye and a split lip before subduing him. Mick Calium was found guilty of aggravated burglary at a trial in March. Okay, McCallium is not the Irish guy. The Irish guy has the red funky hair and looks like he got hit by a truck. Cordy is the old man. And well, let's just say he's Irish too. It just makes sense. March during which he had claimed he could not remember the incident. John Simmons defending said Mr. Cordy, who served with the Royal Engineers in North Africa from 1956 to 1958, had received minor injuries during the confrontation. He added... Photographs of the defendant showed what looked like a car accident, and photos of the scene looked more like a murder scene. The recorder, Angela Morris, said, Luckily, Mr. Cordy was an able-bodied 72-year-old who was able to defend himself. The jury might well have concluded you got what you deserved when you entered that property and took a swipe at him with that weapon. The elderly and vulnerable people are entitled to demand the protection of courts from people like you who decide to take matters into your own hands and enter a property with a weapon. Mr. Cordy, a retired car worker, added, if needed to, I would do it again. During sentencing at Oxford Crown Court, Brian Payne, prosecutor, said, there was a struggle and it was clear Mr. McCallum was intoxicated because his reactions were slow. 
It seems Mr. McCallum ended up with a far more serious injuries. Oh, that's just a way to like depussify him. He got his ass kicked by a 72 year old. I promise you, Mr. Cordy's like, Hey man, if you think he was drunk, I'll give him a fair shot. Let's do it again tomorrow. We can make a freaking sell tickets to this thing. I promise you the same result happened. This guy hasn't fought a day in his life. After the sentencing, Detective Constable John Shaw said, fortunately, no one was more injured in this incident, but this was still a terrifying situation, and McCallum must now pay for his actions. He has to go to prison. Everybody's going to see the photos. Everyone's, he is going to be rolling over for a pack of cigarettes. He is going to become a, a, a very large man's friend because he can't defend himself. He got his ass kicked by a 72-year-old. The weakest drag queen in prison would rock this fool. He is going to have a very sore ass for his time in prison. Yes, he'll feel like a cicada. I keep making references about cicada. I'm just going to keep going. I hope that the victim and his wife might now be able to put this ordeal behind them and get on with their lives. During the trial, Mr. Cordy described how he had been woken during the night by noise from next door for several months before the incident. George McCallum had become involved in a long-running dispute about noise complaints, he told the court, they would slam the doors and they would start partying. You could hear shouting, screaming, and music. Mr. Cordy said he called the police when he found McCallum banging on the front door of his house at 6.30 a.m. Two hours later, he said he came downstairs and saw bar worker McCallum in his hallway. Mr. Cordy said the accused produced a knife. It was no ordinary knife. It was more like a six-bladed knuckle duster. <laughs> God. He made, the 72-year-old knows what a, a bladed knuckle duster looks like. He made a slashing movement at me. I stepped back. He missed me, fortunately. Mr. Cordy said that while uh, McCallum was off balance, he grabbed both of his wrists and managed to pin his arms against the wall. He added he asked McCallum to drop the knife, but he wouldn't. By asking him, which means punching him in the face repeatedly with a ball-ping fist hammer. Mr. Cordy said, I shouted to my wife to ring the police. But don't call too quick because I want to have a field day with this guy's face. I was absolutely petrified. Bullshit. As I saw it, it was a matter of do or die, so I let his wrist go. Fortunately, the element of surprise was with me, so I adjusted my position and hit him with my right hand. It was just below the eye. I did not knock him out, but he was stunned. I heard the knife drop. He... We grappled. I was trying to drag him out of the back door. We both fell to the floor. I had to subdue him again gently by punching him repeatedly in the face until he was unconscious, which I did not take a great deal of pleasure in. Yes, he did. I take a great deal of pleasure. I don't even know the guys, and I'm just like rooting this guy on. Hit him again. Hit him again. The jury heard he then lay on top of McCallum until the police arrived. Man, I love Still Point. They uh, reached out and they said, hey, man, we're going to do a little, we're going to do an intro for your show. We're going to like do a down on friend me and like metal, you know, just, just awesome. I love these guys. I appreciate them. They also send me great articles. So Still Point, if you haven't listened to them, go to Reverb Nation, type in Still Point, S-T-I-I-L-P-O-I-N-T, not S-T-I-L-L, and listen to their music. They're a great band. Everyone who listens to them is surprised. Memorial Day. Listen, I have a conflict with this. There's two types of veterans. There's the veterans who are like, geez, man, Memorial Day, you're not thanking me for anything. I didn't die. Why don't you thank the people who died? Thanking me for my service isn't today. Okay, to those veterans, dude, there was a time where people would not freaking tell us anything. There was a time that they would spit on us and call us baby killers. 
They weren't putting candles in the window. They weren't tying yellow ribbons around the, tr- the, the, the tree. They treated us like second-rate citizens, and not me. But in Vietnam, they treated us like dirt in Korea. If people want to say thank you for your service, let them. So I tend to let people have some slack. The same 16 people every year on Memorial Day say, hey, Matt, thanks for your service. And I just go, hey, man, thank you. I appreciate you. Veterans know not to say thank you for your service on Memorial Day. But I want to tell you about my daughter who is so profound and my son. I was quizzing him at the table. Do you know what Memorial Day is? And my son, trying to retell the tale, said, well, it was for the Civil War. Well, he's partially right. It was actually established during that time. And we'll go over that. Decoration Day is what it was called. But what's interesting here is my daughter, I said, when do we thank a veteran for their service, Memorial Day or Veterans Day? And my daughter and son, like clockwork, both say, we thank veterans every day. And you're damn right, we do. So it doesn't matter. Even if you say thank you for your service on Memorial Day, if you follow the adage that we thank veterans every day, then you're in the right. But Memorial Day is something a little different. It's to recognize Veterans who have fallen during service. And it doesn't necessarily have to be just with war. If you were in the service, if you were overseas, detached from home or deployed, sorry, allergies are killing me, and you gave up your life, you're recognized on Memorial Day. And Veterans Day is just a little different. But the point is, is that I had to write about it today. And I was doing it for work. And this will be up on Facebook in a little bit of time. And this was an experience that I had when I was younger. This picture, I'm on the left, and my brother is in the middle, and my sister to the right. Uh, Little Matt, that's me, with the flowing blonde hair and the Adonis body. I was a little swimmer. My brother, Wade, and then my sister, Kelly. We had lived on Neath Street in California, swimming every day in the summer, and John Wayne had passed away that evening, and it was all over the papers. Now, John Wayne did not serve, although he did a lot for war bonds and USO and was in a ton of war movies. He actually, by some people now, posthumously dishonor his memory by calling him a draft dodger, and I don't really care about any of that. We celebrated it because he was a a very prominent figure in my parents and my grandparents' lives. So we made a testament to him. We put a sign out, put American flags out, honoring his memory. And this story tells you what Memorial Day means to me. After sitting down for 30 minutes or so, I came up with this, and here it is. On Memorial Day, how does it make you feel, Matthew? These words were so very simple to understand, but entirely complex in their design. My father raced to the backyard in 1979. It was a beautiful day, full of swimming in our tepid pool. Skin bronzed from the California sun, the same sun bleaching our hair to the blondest of blonde, the blondest you've ever seen. He reached us without so much as a grasp for air, steadfast in his resolve to utter the words succinctly. But with fervor, as a Marine, we had come to expect this from our father. Kids, the paper is here. They want to take a picture of you and your sign outside, he exclaimed. We scrambled out of the pool, attempted to dry off with much vigor, but to little avail. When we reached the front yard, several neighbors had gathered. The local media was standing in wait, and we were going to be 
in the paper. Of course, the gravity of the situation was lost on me at the time. John Wayne who? We were forever immortalized in the chalky ink of the morning paper. We signed autographs for our neighbors and retold the story over Sara Lee coffee cake. Ad nauseum. It was the epitome of our young lives. I reflected little on the meaning of it all until my father asked me the question that prefaces this article. I remember cleaning up from the rudimentary memorial with a lackluster demeanor. I pulled the wooden staked flags from the ground and somewhat lazily tossed them in the garage. A garage that Red Fox would feel the urge to organize if his fictional character harbored the intent. I felt the hairs on my neck stand up on end as I slowly rotated my head posterior to where it once was. I saw, no, I felt my father's penetrating gaze. He slowly walked over to my position, bent over, and picked up the flags. He knelt by my side and told me of his service to our country, the meaning of the flag, and the intent behind its purpose. All of it spilt out of my mind as fast as it went in. I was five years old after all. But then he asked me the question that has been emblazoned in my mind since its inception. Matthew, how does the flag make you feel? I was dumbfounded. I didn't understand the question and tried my best to muster an answer that never came. My father explained to me that the flag is to be revered, to be protected, and to be treated with the utmost dignity and respect at all times. I simply asked, why? I can't recall every detail, but it was something close to the following account. My father said, The flag is not an item. It isn't a toy or a piece of furniture. It carries the hearts, souls, and blood of our people. Veterans gave their lives to defend its altruistic and lofty goals. It reflects a tireless effort in humanity and strength. It is family It is the lessons of the past, the efforts of today, and our compass for tomorrow. You must figure out how it makes you feel, because if you fail to do that, you will never understand its value and meaning. As I reflect on Memorial Day, I find myself struggling to gleam something substantive and haphazardly write about what countless others have done over the years. As I typed away, All of it had been said before. It was uninspiring, just downright regurgitated facts and supposition. Then I remembered this time in my life, the time when the sodium lights turned our streets a hideous amber color, instead of the artificial moonlit white we were accustomed to basking in. It was a simpler time. I have carried the flag as starboard watch leader in boot camp. I have seen the flag in tatters. I have replaced it at schools, libraries, and neighbors' homes. I surrender and retire my flag every year like clockwork. A 30-foot metal testament allows her to wave outside of my home. My appreciation of the colors has little to do with tradition and more to do with my personal attachment to its continued meaning. I have draped the flag over friends and wept over its flagrant mistreatment. For me, the definition of the flag is impossible to put into words. Like love, it is indescribable for most people to convey. In my humble attempt to replicate that feeling, I hope it allows you to reflect on your own story. Share your meaning openly and proudly, because in the end, we owe the veterans who have made the ultimate sacrifice so very much. She deserves for all of us to reflect, just for a moment, 
and define how we feel. On this day of memory, that journey is for you to uncover as an American citizen and a patriot. God bless America. Matthew Spear, United States Navy. Veteran Crisis Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. Press 1. 22 veterans a day commit suicide. It is way too many. They need your help. Traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress, depression and anxiety are all too real and common in veterans. They need your help, but they don't like to talk about these things. So give it a try. Reach out. Make a phone call. If that doesn't help, reach out to me. I will talk to a veteran with you. I've done it many times for friends and other people who are trying to reach out to vets. If that doesn't work, they can go to don'tunfriendly.com. Click on the VCL link. It is a hot button to give you a Skype call directly to VCL. You'll be connected immediately. You can get the help that you need. If you are not a veteran and you're a civilian and you're still struggling with mental health, they will help you as well. They don't turn anyone away. That is the great thing about the Veteran Crisis Hotline. Folks, please give me a like, a share, and subscribe and a follow if you would. 160 episodes, and I am going to keep on trucking. I appreciate you stopping by. Remember, you can love me, you can hate me, we can agree, we can disagree. All I ask is that you don't unfriend me. I will see you on Tuesday. Have a safe and blessed Memorial Day weekend. And let's drink for those no longer present. Good night.